0: to see this morning that you guys are certainly uh, wanting to know more about Aboriginal ministry, about Aboriginal people and that you do have an express love for our people. Friends, as a young man growing up in the Christian environment, I was told how much God loved me and how much he wanted to have a relationship with me. For many years, I come to understand that this God that I come to know was a loving God, but I was also told that that grace and love was limited. The moment I fell into difficulty, and what I mean by that love and grace, was that when I was walking a, a godly and moralistic life, that relationship with God was certainly a relationship Uh, that was welcomed but then when I stumbled and I fell and fell into immorality uh, that relationship was severed that's what we were taught that's what we uh, as a result of the missionary era taught us about our relationship with God we didn't know when we were saved and when we were unsaved It's interesting that when Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he deals with doctrine and then duty. He deals with principle and then practice. He deals with truth and then responsibility. If you read the first three chapters of this particular book, then you will find that Paul is primarily dealing with doctrine as he writes to the church at Ephesus. He wanted to correct their misunderstanding of salvation. And so Paul spends the first three years, uh, the three chapters of this particular book talking about truth and what is truth. And then when we come to chapter four, he begins to talk about practice. How are we to live as God's people? You know, it's interesting that John MacArthur outlines that. Paul has a particular way of writing, and that is doctrine and duty, and, and he gives, gives examples of that. In Romans chapters 1 to 11, you have doctrine, and then in chapter 12 through to the end of the book, you have practice. Colossians is no different. Chapters 1 and 2 is all about doctrine, about teaching, about correct understanding of salvation, and then chapters 3 and 4 is about practice. And so we need to be careful that we don't get the cart before the horse, as it were. And sometimes many of us do that. And we were taught that particular way of thinking. That our salvation was based entirely upon whether or not the lifestyle that we're living is acceptable to God. And if I read Ephesians correctly, if I I believe that I read Ephesians correctly... I find that my salvation is based entirely upon God's work of grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you are saved, and this is not of yourself, not of works. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. So God has done that work of grace in our lives. Not even the faith that we have is something that we can conjure up. Bruce and Max can jump up here Sunday after Sunday and preach till the cows come home. But unless God does at work a grace in your life, then salvation will never, ever be present. You might have a better understanding of it, but salvation will never be present. God places within us the capacity to have that faith. It was interesting, one of the questions that came up last week at our Bible school And we had a mixture of people, and it was interesting to see the way in which they interacted with one another. One of the guys says, well, you know, in order for us to be saved, we must accept. And I said, well, it's probably not what I understand salvation to be. And then he quoted Romans chapter chapter 8 and verses 9 and 10, you know, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um... If you read that verse, the way it's written, uh, you, can, you can say, yeah, that's so true. But confession of salvation always starts with salvation. It's always the grace of God that's at work in a person's life. An example, years ago at the uh, AEF meetings, we get a number of guys that get up and preach and, and they... Um, will give altar calls I don't give altar calls in my church because I don't you know all it does is build up a person's ego and these guys would give altar calls and people would come to the front thinking that if they go to the front of the church and they will have a relationship uh, with God friends can I just say to you that when faith is present that's when salvation is present And I believe in the eternal security of the believer. So once we're saved, regardless of whether or not we stumble along on the way, in regards to the way in which we live, we are saved for eternity. I believe in a God that's not only able to call me to himself, but he's also able to keep me in terms of my relationship with him. And so we need to remember that. So Paul in the first three chapters is outlining... That truth, we've been chosen, we've been predestined, and so forth and so on. So Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, hey, you guys have a relationship with God. And I want you to understand it better. But hey, let's not not stop there. Now that you are Christians, now that you have been bought by the blood of Christ, you have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to apply biblical truth to your lives. And so from chapters 4 onwards, Paul begins to open up this particular way of thinking. And when we come to chapter 5, it's interesting, I hate these microphones, Bruce. When we, when we come to chapter 5, um, Paul says to them, hey, be imitators of God. God has already shown us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, how it is that we should live for him. And so if we want to know what and how it is that we should live for him, we need to have a look at the life of Christ. And so Paul says we need to imitate the incarnate God. We need to walk the way he walked. We need to take biblical principle and apply it and and practice that which God has entrusted us with. And the first thing he says to them is that they are to be, uh, live a life of love. They are to live a life of love, just as Christ loved us. And what does that love look like? Well, he tells us there in verse 1, And gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So firstly, it's a sacrificial love. We live in a society where we become so inward-looking. We live in a society that's very materialistic. And we live in a society that we think that everything that we have comes from the work of the how Can I say to you this morning that everything that we have comes as a result of God's goodness to us? And the very reason that God entrusts us with resources, with finances, with material wealth, is in order that we might use that to alleviate the needs of other believers within the body of Christ. That's the reason he's done that. Is that we might be able to express love practically to those people that are amongst us in a practical way. So Paul says to us, we've got to, we've got to love one another. We've got to have an expression of love. And quite often, that requires sacrificial giving. He goes on to say in verse 3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. So this love that we have has got to be a pure love. You know, our mob out of Broken Hill, they can see through people. They know whether or not your motives are are, are honourable. They know whether or not you come to them uh, with good intentions. One of the biggest things, and like, like I said earlier... Ministers come and go; they're in and out of the place all the time, and it's hard to build a rapport with people based upon short-term ministry in one local place. People need to be in it for the long haul. People need to be in it to uh, help people. I can remember some years ago, and I'll give you an example of this. Some years ago, my younger lad, Jonathan, bought himself a car. And I said to Jonathan, him and I got down and had a discussion about this car, and I said to him, I said, Jono, I said, it's not a fashion statement, your car won't be a fashion statement, it's not for you to sit in and drive around and say, oh, look at what I've got. I said, your car is to get you from point A to point B. And so he bought this car, paid $3,000 for it, I think, all that he could pay, and then he wanted to buy a newer car. And so he comes to me and he says, Dad, he says, what do I do with my old car? I said, mate, give it to someone in need within the life of the church. He said, what? I said, give it to someone in need in the life of the church. He said, but I can sell it. I said, no. I says, God has lavished upon you everything you have anyhow and now you've got something that you could bless someone else with within the life of your church. Give it to them. He didn't understand that at all. Thankfully, for once in his life, he listened to his dad. And he gave that car to a young, to a dad, a single parent dad with three children. And, mate, you should have seen the look on that guy's face. He was just over the top. The same thing happened to my daughter. She had a little Toyota Corolla. Same thing. She wanted to buy another car. So she said to me, she said, what do I do with the car? I said, give it to a family in need in the church. And so she did. You see, the very thing that God entrusts us with resources in order that we might use them to bless others and to encourage others in their walk within the life of the church. If we're not expressing love in that way, then how do people know that we love them? We can hoard all the resources that we have. And they will never, never bless other people. Or we can give them and share them with others in need within the life of our church. So Paul says next, he says, secondly, he says, this love's got to be a pure love. And he goes on to say, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because uh, these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenities, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this is uh, for this, for of this you can be sure: no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as man, is an idolater, as any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Friends, it's interesting there that Paul says that when we're keeping things to ourselves, we become idolaters. And what's an idolater? Well, an idolater is someone that worships idols. What's an idol? An idol is something that we place more importance in than we do in God. So if we're placing more importance in the things that we've obtained than we do with our our relationship with God, we effectively become idolaters. My brother said to me one year, and he's been in ministry for many, many years, and he was sitting down one day and he was just thinking over things and reflecting. And he says to me, he says, You know, he says, I don't know what I'd ever do if God took one of my children from me. He says, I love my children dearly. But he was thinking about that in the light of this sort of stuff. You know, am I worshiping my children more than I am my God? Do I place more importance in my children than I do in God? Friends, those things are given to us on loan. Not for us to harbour and ord for ourselves. Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, don't idolise things. Make sure your relationship with God is is more important than anything else that you have or own. And use those things to help people. And so Paul says it needs to be a sacrificial love. He says it needs to be a pure love. Because if it's not, then those things, such people, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now is he saying that to scare us? I don't think he is. Paul's just outlining a fact. He's not saying that in order that you might go out now and change the way in which you live. He is saying that this is the yardstick by which you measure a person who has a relationship with God. They will look after the needy. They will look after the poor. They will share of their resources with those who were in need within the body of Christ. If you want to know what characterizes a Christian, ask yourself the question, have I targeted anyone in the life of our church or have I identified anyone in the life of our church who has a need? And have I I met that need for that person? Have I alleviated the difficulty for that person? That's why, and Paul is saying, these are the marks of a true believer. It was interesting that uh, when St. Matts came out last year, Bruce, that um, Neil was sharing his testimony with me, and Neil was on the border, was on the border of just doing away with himself and life and so forth and so on. And he says it wasn't until he made connection with St. Matts, and that some people in St. Matts, you know, he was he was looking down the barrel of of all sorts of things. But someone in St. Matt's, he needed a car for a particular thing. And someone in St. Matt's come up and he said, Neil, he says, we've got a vehicle that you can use. So they lent him a car. He'd use it for about four months. And the person came back and said, you can have that. That's yours, Neil. We want to bless you with it. Hey, what would that do to a person? You know what it did to Neil? It revitalised his belief in a God that provides for his people. Revitalize his belief that God provides for his people through other people within the body of Christ. And no doubt, resources are there to be able to use in the life of the church. So Paul says it needs to be a sacrificial love, it needs to be a pure love, And he goes on to say that we need to not only love, but we need to walk. Sorry, just lost my notes here for a sec. We need to walk as children of light. If we turn back to Ephesians chapter 2 and... Verse 11 and 12, it says this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles from the birth and called uncircumcised by those who call them the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once, who were afar away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So Paul says that they were once in darkness. Paul reminds them of their previous way of life. I can remember some years ago, you know, within the Anglican Church, we have a thing called covenanting theology which basically says that children are justified by their believing parents and I can remember years ago talking to a young person and I said when did you become a Christian oh I've been a Christian all my life I said oh that's interesting I said uh, my Bible tells me that we are born into sin and that we don't have not... we, him and I began this conversation and I believe that we are covered by the belief of our parents up until the age of understanding. And then from that time on, we've got to paddle our own canoe. And so Paul reminds the church at Ephesus that you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were without hope. But the God of grace and the God of all mercy called you to himself and now you have a relationship with God and with that relationship with God comes the responsibility of living a life of people of light. And what does this look like? Well let me read some of it to you. Paul says this in verse eleven we have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. You know, I'm glad we read that passage of Scripture that talks about us being the salt of the earth. You know, we have a job to do. We are to preserve righteousness in a world that is decaying, in a world that is without hope. We are to be a people of hope. We are to speak into people's lives. And talk to them about the hope that we have in Christ. I can remember taking a funeral a couple of weeks ago. And this person was unsaved. But I actually talked a little bit about hope. And I looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Where it says that we as God's people. We are people of hope we do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope we do have hope why do we have hope because god has done that work of salvation in our lives so paul says that we are to live as children of light he goes on to say for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Friends, if we want God to bless us, then we need to be about the master's business. We need to be up and about. Sometimes ago, go had an operation and they led me from the preparatory room into the theatre. They lift me from one bed onto the operating... Don't know how they did that, but they lifted me from one bed onto the operating table. And once they got me on the operating table, there was this big... You know, you guys had operations. Surely you're you getting on in years, so you'd had plenty. But there was this big light that they actually dragged across... Over the top of the bed before they knock me out. The whole purpose of that light was to shine a light on the area that was the problem. That's what its purpose was. And so we, as children of light, are not only to live in a society that um, sees evil around us, to see immorality around us, but we are to expose it. Last week I was at a meeting with the police in Broken Hill and the crimes boss there talked about this ice epidemic that's happening right around the country and how the government is trying to tackle it through the police department. And I suggested to the crimes boss, I said, mate, why don't we have a DAD day? He said, what? I said, "A DAD day. We advertise in the paper, we get on the news, and we talk about it on the news, what we're going to do. And a day set aside where we can dob in a dealer. I said, that's what I'm talking about. We have a DAD day. Mate, I know where there's a number of dealers around town. And he said to me, he said, would you dob in a dealer? I said, too, right, I would. I said, I've already told you about one. I said, you've done nothing about it. I said, we are not only... To live in a community insulated by the rest of the world around us, not isolated, because we can never live in isolated, but insulated from the world around us, but we're also called on to expose wrongdoing. Do we do that? Probably not in Manly, because you guys have got it all together over here. <laughs> Mate, I'll tell you what, I was only saying to Bruce this morning, we're staying in a motel just up the road here. And there there were some young people at night, three, two or three o'clock in the morning. Mate, they were raven lunatics. They were screaming, cursing, carrying on. And I said to Bruce this morning, I said, if that was our people, they'd have been locked up, thrown into prison. I said, our people get locked up for crimes lesser than what those kids were doing. You know, which is a shame. It's a shame on this society. But friends, let me remind you that we are to be children of righteousness. We are to love sacrificially. We are to love purely. And Paul says that we are to be children of light and that we are to expose immorality within our community. It is then that we are the salt of the earth. And Jesus was right. If the salt has lost us saltiness then it's no good for nothing all it's good for is making paths out of where people can walk on so the big question that I want to pose to us this morning are we loving sacrificially when was the last time you looked over the congregation here at St Matt's and you've seen someone in need and you sought to alleviate that need the church is not called on to provide for people outside its structure. You know, the talks about casting your pearls before the swine. We are called on to provide for people and love our people within its, within its parameters. So when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you spoke out against immorality? Mate, I wish I was down here for your First Corinthians stuff. I reckon that would be fantastic. You know, because 1 Corinthians is dealing with those issues. Corinthian church were confronted with many of the issues that we were confronted with today. And so we need to know what the Bible has to say about what is and what isn't sin. And so... There are my questions to you this morning. What can you do about it? Well, we can do one thing, or we can do two things. We can just totally ignore what's been said and continue to go on living as if everything that we have comes as a result of our own work and so forth and so on. Or we can acknowledge God for his goodness to us. And then we can share those resources with people within need in the life of the church. Sometimes I did, some time ago I did some preaching, I'll close with this. Sometimes I did some preaching in our church on tithing and giving. And I quoted John Piper, who once said this He says, tithing and giving is not so much about how much you should give Sunday mornings. God has given given everything to us that we have. So the question is not how much we should give, but how much dare we keep, knowing that everything that we have comes as a result of God's gracious hand upon us. Now, I'm not saying that in order that you might dig deep at all. But the reality is that we have been blessed by God And no doubt God wants to bless others within the life of our church. And the big question is, will you? Let me pray with you and then I'm going to hand it over. Father, again, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you are a God that loves us, that you've given us so much. And Father, at times we tend to want to keep those things to ourselves. Father, we confess that we've done the wrong thing with the resources that you've entrusted us with. Help us to be people, Father, who will identify needs of our number. And Father, seek to alleviate those needs. Your word reminds us that we should love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If we love one another, may people in Manly see in this church a genuine love that is shared for one another. Father, we thank you for the staff here. We thank you for all who attend. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you might continue to lavish upon them resources that they could use to help others. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.